Today's reading from Jeremiah um, is in a sense dry as dust. It is, it is the account of Jeremiah. Um, it's a title document. It's a title document and uh, it's the signing of a title document with witnesses. Uh, some of us have had that experience of of buying property and going through the legalese of the contract and so on. That's what this text is. Um, and it's one of my favorite texts in the Bible. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. At that time the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, I'm going to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it? Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, the son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy this land that is at Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out, weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, so that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in the land. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. What goes on at the beginning of this passage is at this point Judah has become a client state. It's a puppet government under the thumb of Babylon. For ten years this has been the case and the Judeans have, have bristled under this rule and they have had some rebellions, they've had some, some fighting back, there's, there's been some revolt, and 
the Babylonians are ready to crack down and just, they've had enough. The Babylonians have had enough of this. They're ready to invade and level Jerusalem and Judah. And Jeremiah has said, don't revolt. Surrender to the, to the Babylonians. Do not be wiped out. The king of Judah, the puppet king, has regarded this as treason. And he has thrown Jeremiah in jail. So at the time of this deed transfer, Jeremiah is in jail. And God says, your cousin, Hanamel, is going to come to you and wants you to buy some land. It's family property, and the law of redemption says you can buy this land to keep it in the family. So indeed, Hanamel does come and say, Jeremiah, I want you to buy this land. Now, bear in mind, Jeremiah is in jail. And the Babylonians are literally at the gates. The army is gathered. They're under siege. They're ready to overthrow and destroy Jerusalem. And God says, buy your cousin's land. It's crazy. It does not make any sense. This is like a hurricane is ready to hit Florida, and God says, buy some swampland. It's like there's a stay-at-home order, and restaurants are closed. And God says, buy a restaurant. It's a good deal. Are you crazy, God? This does not make any sense. It's not practical. What makes something practical? Well, there are a variety of answers. It's economical. It's efficient. It's effective. It's low risk. It has a predictable outcome. Other people will agree that it's the same thing to do. If you talk to 10 of your friends, all 10 will say, yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't waste time. It doesn't waste money. There's a good return. We value practicality, hard-headed common sense in this country. Some of you have asked, well, what does Susan and you argue about? Well, I'm going to give you a couple examples today. We argue a lot of, over practicality. Sometimes I don't think she's as practical as she could be. Fair share of this regard, revolves around her gardening. She will not and has never used herbicides. She will not pollute the earth. So she battles weeds and battles weeds. All, all season this year, she has been battling thistles. And she's been doing it for years. And people tell her what to do, and she says, I will not use herbicides. And I say, Susan, give it up for a while. Give it up. Get rid of these thistles. You're wasting your time. It's not practical. It's not sensible. When we lived in Centerville, 
we had almost an acre of land at the parsonage and she would not use herbicides and almost all of our land was covered with dandelions. Just this yellow field of dandelions. The little girls who lived next door to us thought Susan's dandelion field was beautiful and they begged their mother to plant pretty flowers like Mrs. Keeney had. Another thing that Susan and I discuss is what to do with mulch bags. Susan has mulched everything. She will not throw the plastic bags away. They're not good for the earth. Now, I will say what you have there is just a drop in the bucket. It isn't going to make or break the earth. The job she has given me is every Saturday to wash her empty mulch bags so that they can be recycled. And I will say, Susan, this really isn't practical. Is it a good use of our time? And she will say, yes, it is. It kind of depends on your perspective, doesn't it? The earth matters. The long view matters. I take the short view. She takes the long view. She's converting me. My perspective is often in conflict not only with Susan, but also with God. Sometimes I think God is not practical. Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor. I think we'd all say, that's not practical. Turn the other cheek. Not practical. Doesn't make sense. Take up your cross willingly. Not practical. I have a friend who told me years ago that the inclusion of gays in the church has nothing to do with righteousness or evil or sin or good or bad. It has to do with what's practical. If the church would be hurt and lose members by including gays, don't do it. It's not practical. Sometimes I feel like the job of the preacher is to make God look not so impractical and try to explain what God's up to. But is it impractical to give my coat to someone when they don't have any and I've got two? Is it impractical to follow the Jubilee laws 
of giving the earth rest to replenish itself and replenish its nutrients and to return property to their original owner so the gap between rich and poor doesn't get so wide? Is it impractical to take a day off every week and not do anything but delight in creation? Is it impractical to tell the truth? Is it impractical not to covet? When Jeremiah preached to the people at this time, the people said that you're wanting us to do what God wants is impractical. And Jeremiah was saying, take the long view. Take God's perspective. It's practical to practice justice, to care for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant. Why did Jeremiah buy that land? Well, he was obeying the law of redemption, which says family has right, if they can, to buy the land and keep it in the family. So the gap between rich and poor doesn't get worse and worse. He also bought it to give hope. He bought this land to say to the people, God remembers, and this land will not be wasted. And in the future, we will have this land again where we can build houses and plant vineyards and fields. This is why this passage is so detailed. It just goes through the entire deed, how the deed was done. This is supposed to be very public and very known. Did you hear what Jeremiah did? Jeremiah bought a piece of land when the Babylonians are ready to destroy us. What's what's Jeremiah doing? He had witnesses. He had this notarized. He had copies made. He had it put in a safe. Jeremiah is saying that there's hope, that there will be a future, that they will not be wiped off the face of the earth forever. God will redeem the people, and the people will not be wasted, and the land will not be wasted. You know, it's Whatever Jeremiah did was wrong with the people. If he preached God's will, it was impractical. If he preached God's hope, it was impractical. But is hope impractical? Is it impractical to say there's going to be a future? When things look dark, when things are desperate, is it impractical to say there's hope? In order for hope to be created, there has to be an action. You just can't say, I hope, I hope, I hope. We have to have an action to back up what we say. We act on what we believe. And his buying this land 
taking the risk, said, there's hope. And God has hope. The more I talk to people at this time, the more of a sense of hopelessness I'm picking up. The stay at home and the shutdown has gone on longer than people thought it would go. We thought we'd be in baseball stadiums by now. We thought there would certainly be football this fall. Certainly the schools would be back in session fully. And people are getting fatigue. They're not sure about the future. They're weary. The disconnectedness and the isolation is wearing. And there seems to be no end in sight. And when the time is hopeless, this is when it's hardest to hope. This is when we call it impractical. Actions kind of seem ineffective and inefficient. And we're not sure of outcomes anymore. It's important to take God's perspective and work with God. I heard recently from a senior citizen in our church the story of how a, a, a young adult in our church at the beginning of the, of the stay-at-home order um, made meals and took meals to the um, senior citizen and I, I sent a thank you note to the to the member, the young member, and, and she wrote back to me and said, at the beginning of the pandemic, I just felt pretty overwhelmed with everything. Reaching out to help just seemed like the best thing to do, and it made me feel like I was at least in control of one thing, since everything else seemed so out of control. To be a people of hope, we need to keep at it. We need to keep doing those meals. We need to keep making those calls that we did in the beginning. We need to take action to send the word that there is a future. Saturday, yesterday, Susan and I went to Oakland Nursery. Of course, we had to buy mulch. You know, and it was pretty gratifying walking around Oakland Nursery to see how many aisles were empty. People are buying things to plant. If you don't believe in the future, why are you planting flowers and trees? It's a sign of hope.
this past week, our capital campaign committee interviewed candidates to be consultants for a King Avenue capital campaign. Now, you could say that with our attendance in person what it is and that we're doing online services, it is nuts to talk about a capital campaign. It is so apparently impractical to talk that way. But is it not a sign of hope to say, we're going to be open in full again. And we're going to need our boiler in good shape. And we're going to need our roof in good shape. And we're going to need our windows in good shape. Because this building is going to be full again. It's going to be full of worshipers. It's going to be full of groups. It's going to be full of organizations. And we're going to continue our ministries. And we're going to create new ministries that we've learned are necessary from this virus. And we're going to need to be ready for the future. It seems practical to me to take the long view and take the future in mind. For we will again plant vineyards, plant fields, build houses, celebrate ministries, celebrate groups, celebrate outreach, celebrate community. And we need to start working for that and taking actions now. This purchase of land is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. For it is such a strong story of hope. God will remember. God is practical and does not give up and does not throw away. God redeems. God is practical. And God preaches hope and wants us to believe in the future, and wants us to work with God to give signs that there is a future. We've been doing this passage on, these passages on Jeremiah as Jeremiah is an example of how to live well in times of trouble and in times of chaos. And this might be the most important message that in times of chaos and times of trouble, Jeremiah had hope. For he knew that God would redeem the present and be with them in the future. May it be so for us. Amen.